0: Welcome to Lawson Insight. I'm Mark Fancourt-Smith, a partner in lawson Lundell's Vancouver office.
1: And I'm Alexandra Stoicheff, an associate in the firm's Calgary office. On this episode, we will be speaking with Scott Lusick about cryptocurrencies.
0: Scott is an associate in lawson Lundell's Vancouver office and specifically in the commercial litigation group. Scott, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. It's nice to be here, Mark.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us.
0: So before we dive into specifics, it's probably helpful uh, if you can uh, just walk our audience through what blockchain technology
2: and specifically cryptocurrencies are. Yeah, so just before I get started, I think it's important to note that Given how new this sector is and confusions about what it is, and a lot of this podcast will be focused on just laying uh, some groundwork and giving people an introduction um, so they can start to understand some of the key concepts and, and players and actors in, in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. And where there are legal developments, I will also be highlighting those. So essentially what the blockchain is, is a distributed ledger technology that allows an immutable, publicly verifiable way in most cases to record transactions, including the exchange of largely of digital assets. So in practice, what that allows um, people to do is to have essentially a trust layer over the internet that we did not have before. So before, there was always the need to have a third party intermediary, whether it be a bank or PayPal or Visa or some type of trusted third party to record transactions um, over the internet. But now with blockchain technology, that can that can be done essentially just by running the software. And so that that is a, a massive new innovation that's that's been described as Web 3.0. Cryptocurrency or or virtual currency is one iteration of blockchain technology. And so there's different types of cryptocurrencies. But essentially what Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies do is they allow for the transfer of value across the internet. Uh, and, and the store of value across the internet, again, without any trusted third party, such as a bank or an exchange or Swift, that is a technological basis. And we're, we're also seeing, you know, broader applications of blockchain technology. But the one that is kind of fir- first poking its head up and most people know about is, is, of course, um, virtual currencies and, and Bitcoin being the being the kind of the, the blue chip uh, cryptocurrency.
0: So essentially in, in cryptocurrency, now that we've we have the, the trusted ledger and, and can solve the problem of I guess what, what was previously referred to as the double spend, the risk that that someone would use the same asset you know again. Um, we have a new asset class and one that, that's becoming increasingly significant, isn't it?
2: Yeah, so absolutely, Mark. For a long time, you know, Bitcoin, for example, first kind of came onto the scene in 2013 and then had its first major run in value and also in publicity in 2017. But even up until recently, you know, the story around cryptocurrencies has often been, you know, it's a scam or it's something that just very technically astute people are doing a kind of a, a play project, but most recently it is becoming acknowledged widely by institutions and government as an emerging asset class. Just to put some numbers on that to help people kind of understand the scope of this. Um, so at the recent peak of cryptocurrency value in May 2021, the value of all cryptocurrencies was approximately $2.5 trillion U.S., um, and to put that in perspective, the approximate uh, market value of all gold in the world is somewhere between 9 and $10 trillion. That means that its, at its most recent peak, cryptocurrency was approximately had a value of approximately a quarter of the entire gold market. So th- this is no longer um, you know, uh, uh, simply an interesting toy thing for technically adept people. This is, this is more and more becoming mainstream. And I think that you know we see that in the investment side where increasingly you know, institutions are offering custodial and investment services. Um, everyone from Goldman Sachs to you know, certain pension funds, for example, are, are, we're starting to see investments in cryptocurrency and related businesses. The other quite fascinating kind of mainstream uh, development is what's referred to as central bank digital currencies. Now, we haven't seen one yet that's fully active in the marketplace. But just to give you some idea of how significant these changes could be. So and just to define the term, so a central bank digital currency is essentially just a, a digital banknote. So that would be, you know, for example, uh, uh, a digital version of the uh, Canadian dollar or the US dollar. But in a recent uh, t- uh, study by the Bank of International Settlements, they found that 86% of central banks globally are actively researching the potential for um, central bank digital currencies. 60% were experimenting with the technology, and 14% of central banks globally had already deployed pilot projects. So again, uh, you know, and that includes China, and you know, as recently as today. Um, discussions by the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank about potentially um, investigating that technology. So it is certainly becoming much more mainstream.
1: Well, and so with this proliferation and the increased value that you mentioned, um, I understand that there's new regulations that are being applied to cryptocurrencies in Canada. And I'm wondering what you can tell us about those and what effects those regulations will have on Canadians who are interested in investing in cryptocurrencies and who are using it in the course of their business.
2: That's a great question and I think it's one that a lot of businesses and consumers are asking themselves right now. Historically, because this is such a new technology, there has been regulatory uncertainty in Canada and and other jurisdictions around the world. What we're observing is governments and regulators slowly catching up and adapting previous models and previous paradigms to this new technology. Most recently, the Canadian federal government issued a series of regulations aimed at anti-money laundering legislation with respect to businesses that are dealing in what they they define as virtual currencies essentially that means any currency that's not issued by a national government so any businesses in Canada that are dealing in virtual currencies first must register as, as a money services business with the federal government's uh, FinTrack. Anti-money laundering and uh, know your client regulations that um, traditional financial institutions are subject to. So that would include threshold um, reporting for virtual currency transactions over $10,000 um, in Canada and also just basic um, information about the, the client and their underlying identity. Um, again, these particular regulations are aimed at the uh, to to support uh, anti-money laundering uh, laws in Canada. Now, as
0: people are increasingly making significant investments or put another way, uh, investing significant portions of their net worth into crypto, what are we seeing in terms of regulation
2: of the exchanges themselves? Yeah, so and I think for, for listeners who may not be entirely familiar with this space, it's an interesting question or worthwhile question to ask, well, what actually is a cryptocurrency exchange? So typically traditional exchanges are ones that we know about, like the TSX, uh, the Vancouver Venture, um, the New York Stock Exchange. You know, those were traditionally the places where um, people could transfer assets and securities. Cryptocurrency exchanges are, for the most part, fundamentally different. They are accessed online through websites. They often don't necessarily have a uh, physical headquarters. I mean, they may be registered in Canada, but oftentimes the actual operations are not taking place in Canada. However, as you mentioned, Mark, there are very significant amounts of, of wealth being transferred through these exchanges. So the question then becomes, well, how in this new paradigm do we protect uh, consumers um, and provide some basic regulation around the activities that are going on in these cryptocurrency exchanges. The answer is, is that slowly, particularly in Ontario, we are starting to see some actions um, from the o- Ontario Securities Commission with respect to crypt- uh, cryptocurrency exchanges that are operating in Ontario or serving Ontario clients so the most recent kind of headline news was uh, the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world which is Binance recently um, was stopped servicing uh, Ontario based users in part due to the regulatory actions that the Ontario Securities Commission had taken against other uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, so the the issue there is not so much or, or the way It appears to be going is not necessarily so much that regulators in this case the ontario securities commission are saying we don't want our uh citizens uh people who are in the in the province to to not be using these boat to using these exchanges but if they are those exchanges have to be in accordance with securities regulations. So that gives um, cryptocurrency exchanges the choice often to either take on the expense of uh, complying with the regulations in each specific jurisdiction, or in the case of Binance, uh, an Ontario residence choosing not to, to no longer serve those customers. So in the case of Binance, they recently announced that they are not going to be, they're no longer gonna be serving Ontario based clients. And they asked that all uh, Ontario based clients remove all their assets um, by the end of 2021. So I think that, that you know, that is a, a major step, but other cryptocurrency exchanges, such as Well Simple, for example, have decided to comply with regulations and to invest the money to become compliant. So it's, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag about how cryptocurrency exchanges are, are reacting to regulation.
1: And so on that note, so yeah, we've talked about how this is an increasingly regulated field and how those regulations are applying to virtual currencies um, and the exchanges. But I'm wondering whether there's sort of in any sort of increasing or changing regulations that consumers should be aware of.
2: Users should know that they're going to have to be complying with basic anti-money laundering regulations and certain reporting requirements for transactions over $10,000, and uh, they should be aware that in certain cases, such as you know, in the Binance in Ontario example, that they may need to uh, transfer their assets and their trading activities to uh, exchanges that are that, that are going to be subject to local regulation.
0: Now, people have become increasingly familiar with, with the idea of virtual currencies, but I wanted to ask you, and this sort of goes back to the, uh, our first question about blockchain technology itself, what other financial areas or activities are we seeing crypto
2: or blockchain technology expand into? I think the major message is it's starting to become more mainstream. You know, recently El Salvador proposed a law under which Bitcoin would be accepted as legal tender in the country. And so one of the ramifications in El Salvador is that you know vendors uh must accept Bitcoin, just like they accept the regular local currency there, which is in fact the US dollar. The other one is colloquially referred to as DeFi, and DeFi stands for decentralized finance. If you think of uh, Bitcoin, for example, or one of the other kind of blue chip cryptocurrencies referred to as Ethereum. In particular, Ethereum is the best example of this. So if you think of this first wave of cryptocurrencies, what this really is, is setting down the infrastructure, the pipes, as it were, of a whole new way to transact value. And so in the cryptocurrency world, that's often referred to as layer one. The next step, which is referred to as layer two, is where Increasingly, applications are being built on top of this infrastructure and, and DeFi is an area that covers many different um, kind of functions or use cases, but I think the, the best way to think about DeFi is it is uh replacing traditional financial institutions what the ethereum network allows you to do is not just to transfer ethereum the native cryptocurrency it's actually a network that allows you to exchange other assets that can be exchanged on the network so you can exchange a a token that is uh, representative of of one us dollar or other digital assets that are representing value can be exchanged over that network and so with that technology we are seeing things like cryptocurrency banks. There's actually been some bonds actually been issued on the cryptocurrency network. So again, this DeFi, this layer two is kind of the the build out on top of the infrastructure that's been built over the past 10 to 15 years.
0: Well, it'll be fascinating uh, to see what you know how governments and other regulatory uh, bodies deal with um, with that emergence as well. But I wanted to follow up just on, on one thing you had said on NFTs or these non fungible tokens, which are um, we've now seen in the digital art world or in, in the commodification of memes. Um, what more can you tell us about those and, and where they may be headed?
2: So NFTs, just so everyone understands what that is, it's a, kind of a scary acronym. <laughs> but what what an NFT stands for is non fungible tokens. It's a unique signature of ownership of a digital asset. The first kind of NFT was actually uh, was something that people may be familiar with called CryptoKitties, um, which was actually um, the product of a Vancouver-based company where essentially it's a it's a digital collectible in that case. I think that you know, NFTs are a perfect example of how there's kind of that parallel development in the in the cryptocurrency world. So um, you know, we've gone from crypto kitties in 2017 to probably the most famous NFT ever, which is a, an artist named Beeple, and he sold one of his his NFT, his digital art, um, for 69 million dollars uh, US this year, um, which was a compilation of of 5,000. Uh, different pieces that he developed over a certain number of days. Um, but anyways, all to show you that, you know, that's, uh, when there's these things are selling for $69 million US, um, you know, people really start to pay attention. Um, we're also st- starting to see in the NFT space, things like people are turning tweets into nfts um i think jack dorsey the founder of twitter his first tweet i believe uh you know sold for several million dollars we're also seeing that in the collectible sports collectible and card space as well um so again we're seeing um you know a small iteration of uh cryptocurrency start, starting to, to eat uh, eat the world as, the, as they say about software
1: Well, and Scott, this has been so interesting, and uh, I know that just from chatting with you that a lot of your knowledge on this started as a personal interest. You were really interested in cryptocurrency and its emergence, Um, but you have increasingly been doing legal work involving cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And so I just wondered if you could briefly touch upon what you see as some of the key legal issues that are arising from this.
2: We are certainly starting to see, you know, uh, and it's perhaps not surprising, given how mainstream and high value um, this industry is becoming that um, you know we are increasingly seeing clients um, needing assistance. Um, so, for example, some of the cases that we typically see and, and have advised on. So, one area is miners. Miners are people who are actually providing the basic servers infrastructure to run these decentralized networks, and which obviously can be very lucrative, but also very capital intensive and energy intensive in, endeavors. But Um, You know, in Canada, in some ways, we actually are very well placed to host crypto mining facilities because uh, particularly in in B.C. and Quebec are two kind of uh, noted provinces where where there's often an excess of hydroelectrically generated power, so you know there there is some kind of product market fit, as it were, for for miners to set up in Canada. So that's kind of one area. Another area that we've been active in is assisting um, businesses and high net worth individuals, typically who have invested in cryptocurrency. Um, and have either a claim against a, a cryptocurrency exchange if there was, if there was any issues in the, with, with respect to the exchange or potentially even uh, recovering uh, cryptocurrency in certain situations. The other area that we're, we're also seeing um, more activity in is uh, you know, companies that are either promoting or establishing uh, cryptocurrency or, or blockchain. Based businesses, Um, oftentimes that's in private equity, but uh, more and more we are seeing um, companies that are on either the junior exchanges or, in some cases, the the uh, senior uh, stock exchanges, and we are advising them on crypto-related issues.
0: Well, Scott, given the number of uh, of interesting avenues that um, blockchain technology and cryptocurrency is expanding into, and given uh, increased uh, regulatory activity we're going to have to have you back on before too long to uh to find out where uh, where we're at as this seems to be changing incredibly quickly and so uh until then thanks so much for being on the podcast thanks it was a pleasure yeah thanks so much scott thank you for joining us on Lost and insight and thanks again to scott for joining us today
1: and you can check out Scott Lusick's blog posts at lawsonlundell.com. And you can also stay up to date by connecting with us on social media using the handle at and by subscribing to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.